you and relax you and get you in a worshipful mood. she flies golden sails across the skies close enough to touch but be careful if you try though she looks as warm as gold the moon's a harsh mistress the moon can be so cold Once the sun did shine Good Lord, it felt so fine The moon of phantom rose Over the mountains and the pines And then the darkness fell the moon's a harsh mistress it's hard to love her well I fell out of her eyes I fell Seems I only 
felt the thorns And so it goes, and so it goes And so will you soon, I suppose But if my silence made you leave Then that would be my worst mistake So I will share this room with you rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. What is a church if not a place to learn how to love? We gather here to break the patterns that keep us from loving more honestly, more radically. We gather here to grow out of the dullness of love that is routine, to grow out of the poverty of the way that we imagine love. We gather to find the courage and inspiration to gather radically. What is this church? if not a place to learn how to love. In that spirit, we light our chalice. As chalices and Unitarian Universalist services are lit across the world this Sunday morning, we remember our ancestors who imagined bolder ways to love. We lift up Unitarian Universalists everywhere today who are called to love in the face of hate. And we pray for our descendants who will love in ways that we can only dream of today. In this cloud of witnesses, past, present, and future, we gather for worship.
please be seated. We give thanks for this precious day. For the fourth time this month, oh, what a month, we are making some changes due to illnesses. You may notice that I am not Blake. I am Kristen Famula, your intern minister. Our dear worship leader is home resting and getting well today. And we hope all of you are taking care of yourselves. These illnesses are no joke. And still, we give thanks for all gathered here, for the many, many folks on Zoom this morning, for all of you participating from the family room where the whole service will be streamed, we give thanks. For all of us who make noises, who shuffle and cry and laugh and clap, for all of you who need to shift and move, we are grateful for you, for you being right here. We hope you feel welcomed and included to participate in the ways that feel like you. Young ones, you are welcome to stay right where you are or to come up front where you might be able to see better or to hang out at the activity table in the back or in the family room across the hall. For all of you here, in whatever way you are here, welcome. Let us take some moments of stillness. Take a few slow, intentional breaths, letting your body become just a bit calmer than it was. Listen to the space around you, not silent, but still, intentional. Let your body relax into whatever it is that's holding you. Relaxing into the sounds of this space. Letting yourself become part of the whole. I invite you to imagine an invisible string connected at your heart, stretching outwards. This string connects from your heart to all the others you love. Imagine those people or pets, those closest to you, those loved ones who know you the most deeply. Picture them connected to your invisible thread, connected heart to heart. Imagine the people who you don't get to see or hear from frequently, but who hold a piece of your heart, who remain connected to your thread. Imagine them connected to you along the line, heart to heart. Picture those who are loved ones from a previous lifetime or a long since experience who mattered to you. Imagine them connected to your string. 
Imagine your thread slipping past this lifetime, connecting you to all those who have come before, connecting their hearts to yours, those loved ones who shaped your existence. Imagine your long, invisible thread connecting to the hearts of all those loved ones. Feel it warm your heart. Feel the warmth moving along the line to all those you are connected to. And picture the other invisible strings connecting hearts across the globe creating one large interdependent web. In these moments of stillness, let yourself picture this web of heartstrings weaving across the continents. Spirit of life, great web of loving interconnectedness, let us hold one another. We pray this morning that we might bring intention to our lives. May we acknowledge the sadness, reflect on our grief, celebrate our journeys. And in bringing intention, may we give meaning to all of these moments in our lives. I invite you to recall those names and places that are on your hearts this morning. Give intention to the silent prayers you offer to each of them. In a moment, we will ring our chime and name those people and places aloud. But for now, I invite you to simply be with them on your hearts.
As the chime rings, you are invited to share those names and prayers in the chat bar if you are with us online and allowed into this physical space if you are here. All of these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. In addition, I lift up the following prayers from our community. Member Libby King has breast cancer. She will begin chemo and surgery soon. And we offer prayers for her strength and courage as she embarks on this journey. In what can seem like a lonely path May she be reminded of the love of this community. Marsha George died on November 11th. She was a longtime church member and a part of our Animal Advocates Ministry. She was surrounded by much loved friends at the time of her passing. And we also lift up love and peace to member John Ellig, who died this past Tuesday. We pray that all those connected along the invisible threads of care to these beloveds feel wrapped in love. As we listen to the news about war and violence and oppression and ongoing attempts to remove human rights, natural disasters and all the things that could leave us feeling hopeless, we offer immense gratitude for the ways that we are able to work for change through this community. We especially lift up our partners sharing space with us here, the Albuquerque Center for Spiritual Living and the Menara Muslim community. It is a joy to partner with them in the work of love and justice. May we find courage in one another for the ongoing work of this life together. Amen, and peace be with you. Please join us.
Please be seated. want to see you, Anna. <laughs> Folks, I want to actually quickly say, Anna Watkins was supposed to shadow Blake today, but Blake is sick and Anna is now getting the trial by fire. So we welcome Anna as a new worship leader. It's made me taller. <laughs> Today's message is about attachment styles of relationships. We're going to start by making a series of statements. As you hear each statement, consider the degree to which that statement might apply to you, and consider if you identify more with one of the speakers. And remember, Kristen and Reverend Bob and I are each just playing a role and reading from a script. These are not necessarily our personal attachment styles. So, Let's begin. In my early childhood, my parents or caregivers seemed genuinely interested in me. They made me feel special. I get nervous when romantic partners get too close to me. I focus more on my relationship than on myself. I find it easy to depend on romantic partners. I prefer not to depend on others or to have others depend on me. When romantic partners show any signs of coldness, I panic or get angry. This happens in friendships as well. I talk things over with my romantic partners. I hate making social plans with others in advance. I quickly get the feeling of being trapped by commitments. I hate being alone. Ideally, I would spend all day with my partner. I show my partner how I feel deep down. I prefer being independent. I don't feel like I need anybody. When my romantic partner is out of sight, I worry that they might become interested in someone else. In my early childhood, I felt very safe when I was with my parents or caregivers. I have a hard time trusting any romantic partner. I'm afraid that once somebody gets to know me better, they won't like who I am. In my early childhood, I felt very loved and accepted by my parents or caregivers. I don't need intimacy. I often worry that my partner wants to leave me. In my early childhood, my parents or caregivers could effectively calm and soothe me when I felt bad. I feel uncomfortable getting close to others. I worry that I will get hurt. I worry that I don't measure up to other people. I am effective at compromising and communicating. When somebody hurts or rejects me, I distance myself from them. I often worry that my partner will stop loving me. I feel comfortable depending on my romantic partner. I find that I bounce back quickly after a breakup. It's weird how I can just put someone out of my mind. 
when I'm not involved in a relationship, I feel somewhat anxious and incomplete. In my early childhood, I felt emotionally in tune with my parents or caregivers. They understood how I felt. I find it difficult to emotionally support my partner when my partner is feeling down. When my partner is away, I'm afraid my partner might become interested in someone else. I don't feel the need to act out much in my romantic relationships. My independence is more important to me than my relationships. When I show my partner how I feel, I'm afraid my partner will not feel the same about me. An argument with my partner doesn't usually cause me to question our entire relationship. I find it difficult to depend on my romantic partner. I sometimes feel angry or annoyed with my partner without knowing why. When I disagree with someone, I feel comfortable expressing my opinion. I prefer not to share my innermost feelings with my partner. I am very sensitive to my partner's moods. I don't have much of a problem staying in touch with my exes, strictly platonically. After all, we have a lot in common. I miss my partner when we're apart, but then when we're together, I feel the need to escape. I worry that I'm not attractive enough. If you found that you agreed with the statements that I made most of the time, you may have a secure attachment style. If you agreed with the statements that Kristen made most of the time, you may have an avoidant attachment style. And if you agreed with the statements Reverend Bob made most of the time, you may have an anxious attachment style. Once again, I portrayed a secure style, Kristen, portrayed an avoidant style, and Reverend Bob portrayed an anxious style. We'll hear more about these terms in a few moments. You're welcome to stay seated during this and join us in verses five and six. Never mind. I also want to thank Laura Bartolucci and Sue Spaven who are, who are stepping in this weekend while Susan Peck is taking a well-deserved vacation. So we're so grateful for your help. Y'all are awesome. And it's been quite a chaotic morning, I have to admit. With, with Blake falling sick, uh, you really didn't know until this morning that this, that was going to happen. We also had a break-in at the church last night. Nothing was hurt, nothing was stolen. The person is in custody, it's all fine. Our systems, our security systems work beautifully, frankly, uh, but it does add another label. Yeah, right? You know, our, our security company came out, the alarms detected it, the security company came out and checked it out. They found the person, Albuquerque Police Department showed up, all good. So. Uh, given that this is the reality of Albuquerque, we're really, uh, we did really well. Super happy about that. All right. Perhaps you've watched someone you care about 
get into a relationship where it seemed like one partner was always chasing and the other partner was always backing off. It's painful to watch, isn't it? The strange thing is about how each partner seems so committed to their role despite their ongoing unhappiness. Somehow, despite their incompatibility, they are locked in this dance that neither enjoys. Why do they stay at it? That weird, painful behavior can be partly explained by attachment theory. So attachment theory is the idea that people tend to have one of several ways of being in a romantic relationship. Or one, we may call it a style of attaching. So one of the styles is called anxious, and that's when a person tends to develop an intense focus on the relationship and, most, and an almost obsessive concern with how close they are with their partner and vice versa. That was the style that was demonstrated by the statements that I was making, like, I often worry that my partner will stop loving me, and I'm afraid that once somebody gets to know me better, they won't like who I am. It's a way of being that includes a lot of self-doubt and also idealizing their partner in an unrealistic way. Another attachment style is called avoidant. A person with an avoidant style will tend to keep people at arm's length. They will be overly self-reliant. That was a style demonstrated by the statements that Kristen was making, like, I find it difficult to depend on my romantic partner, and my independence is more important than my relationships. People with this style will struggle with their own ability to reflect on their feelings. They will flee at any sign of rejection. And by the way, the most common style in the, the dating pool at any given time is avoidant. Another attachment style that we didn't demonstrate is called disorganized. And this style is sometimes associated with people who grew up with unreliable caregivers. Because they were treated poorly by the people who should have been protecting them, their, their responses to being in relationship can be contradictory and confusing. So that's a very small part of the population, so we won't spend much time on that style today. The final style, and the one that is by far the most common, is the secure style. And that was the style portrayed by Anna. People with secure attachment styles see themselves and their partners in a positive light. They believe that they can ask for what they need and they will be heard. They will say things like, I am comfortable depending on my partner and I show my partner how I feel deep down. They feel worthy of love. And isn't it reassuring that this is the most common of all the styles? Anxious, avoidant, disorganized, secure. Now, one thing I love about attachment theory is that it completely normalizes the fact that it is okay and even good to depend on the people that we're, on, we're in relationship with. So this is counter to a very strong strain of conventional relationship wisdom that says something like, if you develop a strong dependency on your partner, you are different, deficient in some way. You should work on yourself to become more differentiated and develop better boundaries. The research shows that the opposite is true. There's a thing called the dependency paradox, and it goes like this. The more effectively 
dependent people are on one another, the more their dependence is effect effective and good for each other, the more independent and daring they become. And it makes sense. When we have these secure foundations in our relationships, it gives us the courage to try new things. Dependency is not a dirty word. Attachment theory is based on the belief that the need to be in close relationship is embedded in our genes. It's a fundamental part of being human. Now, before I go any further, I want to share that I'm drawing from two books for this message. First, the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And second, the book Polysecure by Jessica Fern. Both of them are, are well worth reading. But the book Polysecure is newer. I think it was published three years ago, I believe. And it has a more comprehensive approach to attachment and also talks more about the role of trauma in attachment. But they're both great to read. Anyway, so did that little exercise that Anna and Kristen and I performed, did that make anybody uncomfortable? We weren't trying to stigmatize anyone. In fact, it's really important to understand that the theory does not label the behaviors as healthy or unhealthy. Some are not healthy, some are not unhealthy. None of the attachment styles in itself is pathological. In fact, our attachment style can vary depending on who we're with. So if we're, if, we're, if we're someone who we like, but who seems avoidant, we might respond by becoming more anxious than we normally would. And it's important to note that avoidant and anxious and disorganized styles are people, are behaviors that people set up to avoid being hurt. The strategies may be different, but the underlying goal of emotional safety is the same. So when we think and talk about folks who have these different relationship styles, it's really important to think about them and treat them with compassion. They, like everybody else, just don't want to feel pain. Let's be honest, to love can mean inviting pain into our lives. My therapist is fond of telling me that in order to truly learn about a potential new partner, we have to get close enough to be hurt and to hurt them as well. Isn't that awful and true? And in my mind, one, one of the fundamental design flaws of being human is that we can deeply love someone who doesn't love us back or worse yet is actively hurting us. I mean, we could just as easily be wired to automatically sense if someone isn't into us and then immediately release our feelings of attachment. But it works the other way, in fact. Some of us live in fear of showing our true, our true selves to someone we care about, our authentic selves to someone we care about, and then being told that we are unlovable. That is a terrible thing. To love is to risk. It's my hope that to have some knowledge of these attachment styles might mitigate some of that risk. And I do have to admit that this is the first time in my career that I've ever preached about romantic relationships. Not my strong suit. There is nothing like taking relationship advice from a divorced man. <laughs> you know, and as a person with no kids, you should really hear about my advice raising children. I think. Oh, to have the confidence of the mediocre white man. 
In earnest, though, it's important to be clear that ministers are not therapists. We're not trained as counselors. So I really try to stay in my lane. But I do think that attachment theory can help us find the spiritual tools to grow and maybe even be happier. So think of the attachment tools as a spiritual practice, potentially. For example, it's important to know that our attachment styles are not a permanent condition that we are doomed to endure for the rest of our lives. Rather, knowing our attachment style is an opportunity to become more self-aware and consider the patterns that we might find ourselves living in. Reflection is a spiritual practice. I'm reminded of the metaphor that Resma Menachem uses in his, in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, a fantastic book. He says that pain is an inevitable part of living, but there are two kinds of pain. There is dirty pain and there is clean pain. Dirty pain is the pain of pretending that there is no problem, and when there's, when there's a problem, or refusing to understand our participation in those problems. That is a pain that tears us down. Clean pain is the discomfort we feel when we choose to see ourselves clearly. For example, seeing the patterns in our relationships caused by our attachment styles. Clean pain is still pain, but it's pain that passes, and more importantly, helps us to grow spiritually, to grow as humans. Attachment theory focuses primarily on our romantic relationships, but I'm curious how we might apply it to our church relationships, and specifically our relationship to this church. Some of us are indeed avoidant, some are anxious, but I see so many folks who have a secure attachment with the church. There are so many folks who both give help and ask for it who are comfortable depending on the church and are comfortable knowing that the church depends upon them. We heard bring many names this morning and we're gonna sing it again after this sermon. And so some folks may be wondering why we're repeating it. And here's why. Verse five begins with, with the lines, young growing God, eager still to know, willing to be changed by what you've started. Are we at First Unitarian willing to be changed by what we started? I think we can look at church like a big gymnasium for practicing how to love. You know, there are two views among many of what a church can be. The first is the consumerist church where there's a kind of transaction. People show up on Sundays and they get their hour of teaching and inspiration, and make a pledge and it just ends there. It's really just like capitalism, but on Sunday morning. Then there's a view of church as something that we are co-creating, a place where we live our lives. You know, one of the things I love about church life is that time works differently here. Time is generational here. So we live our lives. I mean, look at the folks who are young folks in the corner who are part of this church and the folks who've lived their whole lives and folks at all different phases of their life. Time is generational here. So we live our lives in this church, co-creating something that conjures the holy when we're doing it right. And it's just like regular life. Our church lives have their seasons. Perhaps there's a few years where we're deeply involved, volunteering, enjoying, and doing lots of things. 
And maybe our tank gets a little empty. Maybe our attention is required somewhere else. And we're not on campus all the time. And that is okay. That is so okay. Church life has its seasons. And we circle back when we need it. And if we have a secure attachment to the church, we know that there are times when the church depends on us and times when we depend on the church. And all of that is okay. That's church as a place to practice how to love, a place to to dare to depend on each other. What is church if not a place to learn how to love? We gather here to break the patterns that keep us from loving more honestly and more radically. We gather here to grow out of the dullness of love that is routine, to grow out of the poverty of the way that we imagine love. We gather to find courage and inspiration to love radically. What is this church if not a place to learn how to love? May it be so. Let us prepare to take up the offering. This is the last week of our partner, Art Street, receiving the Change for the Future donation. If you've been waiting to give them money, this is the time to do it. We'll have a new partner next week. And uh, sorry, this is a part that that Blake would have handled. (laughs) Uh, Let's take up the offering for the work of this church and the work of this church in the community. Baby, where's the place where time stands still? I remember like a lover can. I forget it like a leaver will. It's no place you can get to by yourself. You've got to love someone and they love you. Time will stop for nothing else and memory plays tricks on us the more we cling the less we 
we trust, the less we trust, the more we hurt. And as time goes by, it just gets worse. So baby, where's that place where time stood still? Is it under glass inside a frame? Was it over when you had your fill? you held my hand it's the smell the taste the fear and the thrill it's everything I understand and all the things I never will Will you all join me in blessing our offering this morning? It is such a joy to be able to partner with organizations in this community to be able to live out our mission in this way. Thank you so much for your generosity. Speaking of generosity, I am happy to share with you that we are 70% of the way to our pledge goal. Yay. And that means that we are not there yet. We are hoping to get to 100%. Um, I want to just remind you that our pledge is, this, this campaign is not just a one-time donation where we just give a donation and we're done. What we're doing when we do this pledge campaign is saying how we want to financially contribute in the year ahead. And it's a promise. This is how we're going to help sustain the work of this organization and the mission that we have together as a community. So I want to really encourage you to give your pledge if you have not yet. And the reason for that is so that we can make decisions about how we're going to move forward in the year to come. There's um, information in all of your communications that you get from the congregation. So take a look, make your pledge so that we can start making some decisions about how we want to move forward together in this coming year. 
I wanted to share with you an invitation um, the first Wednesday in December, which is the 7th of December at 7 p.m. We'll have our regular Vespers service that we always offer on every Wednesday. But this time we're going to be doing our, um, our special Vespers service, which will be in person and online for blue, what we call Blue December. Um, this, hap this tends to be a time of carols and Christmas lights and all the kinds of sparkling, wonderful stuff that happens at this time of the year. And we need a time to also come together and acknowledge the nuance and complication of this time of year. So we warmly welcome you to attend either in person or online. You can find more details 7 p.m. December 7th. After that Vespers service, we are gonna take a small break for the rest of December and start back up with our Vespers services online again in January. So we'll take just a little bit of a break for the rest of the uh, weeks following December 7th. And are there any newcomers with us today in, in the um, sanctuary here that wanna raise their hands so we can welcome you? And we may also have some folks online. We have 85 at least. Last time I looked, folks joining us online. If you want to wave to the people on Zoom, we're so glad to be able to make this space for all of us to be together in this way. Uh, we'll, and please be sure to greet each other after the service today. We'll be meeting in the social hall for uh, coffee hour. Will you rise in body or spirit for our peace greeting, one hand on your heart and the other extended out towards one another in this room and out to those of us on Zoom. We are so glad to be together. Please join me. I think you probably know most of the words. What would you think if I sang out of tune? Would you sound on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song And I'll try not to sing out of key Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends Oh, I get high with a little help from my friends Oh, gonna try with a little help from my friends
Go in peace and love radically.